Well, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 this morning in a sermon that I've titled, The Working Relationship of Love. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Now, we've had an opportunity, my wife and I this month, we've, it seems like we've, she says we only have about 16, 17 grandkids, but it seems like we've had a birthday every day, you know. And say, aren't birthdays wonderful events? And say, no, because my first question is, how much is it going to cost me, you know? Uh, but then we got to celebrate our 50th anniversary, so we got back at our kids, you know, and uh, they had to fork it out. And so um, that was good. That was good. So we had our 50th wedding anniversary this month. I just told you, uh, 33 years here as a senior pastor, 35 in September, been here working in this ministry. And then uh, in August, I turned 70. And so, you know, what's bad, I went to the chiropractor the other day. He looked at me and he referred me to a paleontologist. You know, the guy that studies fossils, you know. So, you know, it's getting uh, near the end, all right? Okay. Our text, verse 2 here of Second Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Shall we pray? Father, what a great thing it would be to see each individual Christian to grow in that great grace and knowledge the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of his work within us and through us, the knowledge of our salvation, of what it cost, and yet the joy of what it accomplished. I pray, Father, if there's one in our auditorium today who does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the day they come and receive Christ as their Savior. If there's one listening on our radio station today, Lord, that does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, may they, through this, receive Christ as their Savior. And then I would pray as well for those watching by the live stream, Lord, we pray that they too may be edified, built up in the faith, and if they're without Christ, may they come to him today. And we'd ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the first verse that we covered a couple of weeks ago, uh, we considered that the salvation that we have was called precious faith. Precious faith. Why was it precious? Because it was purchased for us at a price that none of us could pay. The idea of precious is, is something of great value, rare, unattainable by most. And our salvation was only attainable by one through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only way that we could attain eternal life was through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he paid the price. When I think of it in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3, and that's one of my uh, favorite passages, those first few verses. But in the beginning, remember, in the beginning 
The idea is there. He was already there. In the beginning was the Word. It was already there when everything was beginning to be created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made with Him. And without Him, without who? The Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. (laughs) The Word, God, Creator, was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Yes, this is our Savior. And only he could purchase the price of our soul's salvation. We receive it freely. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, that is the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We just sang, work for the night is coming. That's not working for our salvation. It's working because we're saved. Okay. And that's the idea there. And, and that's the idea behind the song as well. Because we want to see other souls come to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are saved by grace. And yet, not only are we saved by grace, but we can also serve Him. We saw in the first verse that He called Himself, Peter called Himself a servant. He used the Greek word doulos, which was the very lowest form of a servant. I mean, that was the bottom rung. This is a guy that could have no will of his own because everything that was what the Master said to do is what He did. He didn't say, you know what, I think I'm going to do this, and you know what, down the road I want to do that. Uh uh. He was a doulos, completely at the master's control. But is it good that we have a master who everything that he has for our life is for our good? We don't always understand it. We don't always understand some of the things that we go through that may be hard. But it's always for our good that he allows things to happen. And, and we... we have a tendency to divide things up. Well, this is a blessing, but going through that's not a blessing. And then you find out, maybe a few years down the road, but you find out, you know what? That I didn't think was a blessing was the greater blessing. Had the greater effect, had the greater power. So we are saved by grace, the grace of God. And we can not only be saved by grace, but we become his servants. A servant, verse 1 told us, and an apostle. Now, we're like apostles, not that we have an office. We don't have the office of apostle. That, that office is not here any longer. You see, the apostle, one of the requirements is that he had to have been there to see the life of Jesus Christ. And some of you are old, but you're not quite that old, okay? So, but the idea of the word apostle was simply this. He is a person like an ambassador that was sent to represent his words, his ways to the world. And what a great privilege that is. God inspired every word that we read in this book. And he has preserved it. Inspired, preserved, 
for us, for us. And so with that idea that it's been preserved for us, he has entrusted us with this great responsibility to carry this blessed word to a lost and dying world. We do it through faith, promise, missions, but we also do it by word of mouth right where we are. And he's allowed us to have an opportunity to be a part of that. I think it's interesting that normally you start off with an introduction, then you get into the teaching. Verse 1, want to tell us about this great salvation that we have. Precious faith. And then we get into verse 2. He starts getting more into the introduction to the book itself. But one of the things I want you to see is that we were not only saved by God's great and amazing grace, but we are also equipped to serve him and not quit by his grace. You say servant, do loss, the very lowest. Man, that is a, who wants to be known as the lowest servant on the totem pole? Who wants to even be noted as a slave? (laughs) When Jesus Christ is the master, there's nothing in this world that can be close to being as high as being a servant of Jesus Christ. And it's not being a preacher. It's being committed to him and his will completely. See, God sent me as a pastor, but he has sent others as lights that you work in various vocations where you work. And you're a light in that vocation. You are there. God put you there because he wanted you to be the light in that area. So whether you're working uh, in construction, whether you're working in a retail establishment, no matter what kind of labor that you are doing, you were sent there as a light. And that was God's call. But now we want to see, as we go into our text, after understanding of this grace of God towards us, our inward edification. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. When I think of that word grace here, I realize that we're not only saved by grace, we're kept by God's grace. And we can only serve him by his grace. This, this epistle was addressed only to, it was really addressed to saved people. And as a result, I think that the life of a Christian is being lived by grace, and that's what he's trying to show us here. Because we progress further into the book, we're going to see great persecution and some bad things that happen in the last days that Christians will face. When I think of this statement in our text, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. My mind goes back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 where he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the Old Testament, by the way, God didn't do away with the law. Didn't. He fulfilled it. (laughs) He fulfilled it. And because he fulfilled it, all the requirements of the law he did. Now, the law didn't save Jews and it doesn't save us. 
But what the law did do, it showed us that we were sinners that needed a Savior. That was the purpose of the law. The law was a holy instrument, but it did not save. And so as we look at the Old Testament law, see, there are people who appear before God. They rejected Jesus Christ, so they're going to be a lot of the things that's in that Old Testament are going to come up in their judgment. By the way, there are many imperative commands in the New Testament that are also going to be called to an account. So don't, don't look at the New Testament as liberty to sin. It was never that at all, and it never will be that. And you may have to find out. But he says, the law entered that the offense may abound. In other words, God had that law written so that you'd know just how bad a sinner you are, how bad a sinner I am. When we read the Word of God, and we say, Lord, show me yourself through your Word, as you see him and then you see yourself, you'll say, how in the world could he love me at all? But he shows us ourself in his word and we are just out and out sinners and it abounds, he says in Romans 5.20. But then he adds this, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. His grace is greater than all of our sin. That's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I know the world doesn't like the word wretch, but it's the truth. We are born sinners headed to hell. We're wretches. But this is a saved wretch today. And praise God for that. His grace is greater than all of our sin. That's why... He said in Acts 10 and 11 about all those unclean things that were, ah, that's terrible. What God has cleansed, don't call it common or unclean. His grace abounds so great that if you get saved, you receive Christ. He says, you're not common, you're clean. You are a trophy of his grace and he wants to use you. That's the great thing. He would not only serve a, save a sinner like me. But he would actually use me. That's grace, friend. That is God's great, mighty, amazing grace. His grace is greater than all of our sin. That is why a just man falling seven times gets up again in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. You see, after you get saved... You need God's grace to serve him. Because without that grace, we fail. Without that grace, we fail. And if we do fall, he's there to help us up again. The Bible shows that we are sinners, but it also shows in Psalms 51, we can have joy again. And teach others the way of righteousness. Look at David, Psalms 51. Adultery? Killed that, man's, uh, that woman's husband? Lying, murder, adultery? And he was a saved man. He had already written the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in that he commits sin like this. And guess what? He doesn't say, oh Lord, I messed up so badly, I need to get saved. He doesn't say that. But he does say this. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. 
You see, there is joy in serving Jesus. There is joy when you walk with him according to his word. And not only can you be as a David fall into such terrible sin, but he can not only cleanse you from that, he can actually use you again. It may not have been the same capacity, but he can still use you. And he wants to. He really wants to. And you can teach others. By the way, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to say hallelujah. <laughs> Look what God can cleanse. And that means that anybody that walks in this auditorium, anybody that walks on the face of this earth is not beyond hope. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our text said grace and peace. Therefore, in Romans 5, 1, we read this. Therefore, being justified by faith. Remember, it's a precious faith. It is trusting completely the work of the Lord for our salvation is trusting completely that when he says that he forgives us of all of our iniquities, that he forgives us of all of our iniquities. It's trusting completely. Completely. And so he says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that peace with God is far better than peace and friendship with the world? Even when men in this world system seems to like you, they can turn on you in a moment. But our Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The world does. He doesn't. When trials and tribulations hit the world, they don't have peace. And by the way, carnal Christians, because their life is wrapped up in the world, they also do not have peace. And they've got to go back to the 51st Psalm as David and, and, and make a commitment to Christ just as David did in, in rededicating his life and recommitting to him. They have to do that. They need to do that. They're going to be right with God. Now, there was a cost. I mean, the sword never departed from David's house. Now, that would have still been true if David had not repented. The sword would have still never departed from his house. But he repented and was able to accomplish things for the Lord. As a matter of fact, Psalms 51 is written by him after, after his sin and restoration. If God can use a David after those sins to write this 51st Psalm, can't he use us? He can use you. You've just got to be willing and pay the price to let him do so. What will be interesting is that he will say that uh, Christian grace and peace from God be multiplied to you. In verse 5, when we get to that verse in our text in a few weeks here, it will talk about a personal responsibility that every Christian has. That is things to add to this precious faith that we've got. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith this, that. And it goes on telling us of things to add. And that's really a personal responsibility that he's giving us. You want your faith to grow, you need to obey what he says to add to your life. If we don't obey, don't expect to grow. So we've got to do God's will, God's way, as he would have us to do it, and as he would direct us. Our responsibility then is that when God gives us things to do, do it. 
and his grace and his peace is multiplied to us. And when you're serving the Lord in the world that has gone stock crazy mad, when you have churches that are going every which wild way there is to go, you will need that peace, that grace, and the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Not the joy of the world, the joy of the Lord. So as we go to the rest of the book, we'll see why we need this great grace and peace of God multiplied to us as we read of the things that are going to happen in these last days. But we not only see our inner man edification, we need to see our education in this book. And that's through the knowledge of God and of our and, and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the only way grace can be multiplied is through the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his word, the knowledge of what he would have for us to do. That, that's, that, that's how we grow in him. The key word here in this book is knowledge. Here's a book, Second Peter, of three short chapters. But 16 times in those three short chapters is the word knowledge. In our text, verse 2, it appears the very first time. It'll appear in the last verse of this book, chapter 3, verse 18, where we're told to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God, which pleases God, and in its application to us is the unmerited favor of God. We don't deserve it. What is the favor which is unmerited for us? It's the love and saving grace of God. It's His favor. Stooping down to our condition. I mean, He was God who created the heaven and the earth. God is the Spirit. And God became a man. He had to stoop down. He had to humble himself. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But yet, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He had to humble himself just to become a human being. That was his great grace to do so. And through that, he teaches us how to obey. But not only that, he teaches us how to serve him. He teaches us and he energizes us to be obedient if we'll walk with him. We need to understand and help men understand that God's grace does not mean that he puts morality to the side, as some are teaching today. He doesn't put morality to the side. He doesn't excuse everyone for, or anyone for that matter, for their impurity and their immorality. Grace means that uh, we are to all Seek what God would have us to be, and we can be it through His grace if we allow His grace to operate within us unrestrained. Think of that. God can use you to do great mighty things in His plan for you 
if you will not hinder that. And a lot of that comes by getting into his word, getting to know his word, getting to know his person, the life of Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection power being manifested in us. And that will bring into our lives victory. Even we as poor, weak, wretched peoples we are, we'll find that God's grace is sufficient to accomplish great and mighty things. And he wants to use you to do that. The Greek word for knowledge here isn't just the normal Greek word gnosis is what it is, but it's not that word. It's epinosis. It has the idea of a super knowledge. Back in the 1970s, I can remember it's the early 1970s, and my dad was up here preaching, and he seemed somewhat strained. Now, it was the same kind of a sermon. I mean, he was up here, he had us laughing at times, and other times we were very uncomfortable. And it was his normal sermon, normal way of preaching. But he preached that entire sermon. And then after the sermon was over, he made an announcement. Two hours before church started, his mother had died. And they had called him to tell him up in Ohio. I knew that he was strained. Most people wouldn't know that. But how did I know that? Because I knew him. That was my dad. I knew him. And I knew a little bit of that after my mother died, and I preached the first time after she died. I want to know my Lord so well as a Christian that I know immediately when something is wrong in me or something that I need to deal with in ministry or that he wants me to do, I want to know it immediately. And I want to know his person so well that he can talk to me that way. And he wants that for you as well. Illustrate what I mean. You know, when you first get married, somewhere in the first year, uh, the first month, all right, first week, okay, you realize you didn't know that person. Okay, and, and he goes through things. And your reaction to things are the things that you learn not to react that way. And, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this. I, if, if I'm walking like this tonight, you'll know I did. Okay? But the first time she made a hamburger for me. Now, understand, she was raised on a farm. They had their beef slaughtered and they ate hamburgers. But, I mean, they were hamburgers. Being a married man and being the person I am, I went to the grocery store and found the cheapest meat I could find, you know. And so, so I want a hamburger for lunch. And so she put it out there in the nice, looked like a quarter pounder. Boy, I tell you, that thing's thick and big, you know, and like that. And when she got done cooking it, it was the size of a quarter. <laughs> and I made some statements about that, and, 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 and she started crying. And I realized, you don't say those things, okay? Uh, men, you don't say, that's, the way, that's not the way my mother did it, you know? Uh, 
And you get to know the person and you realize, you know what? That just doesn't work here, okay? You learn not to say that. Yes, ladies, I was a jerk, okay? Now, God gave us his word so we could know him intimately. Casual reading of God's word is not going to bring you that knowledge. You've got to get into it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to think on it and allow it to work in your heart and life. It's got to mean something to you. You know what? It's no fun learning things the hard way, is it? If you just do it God's way. Just think of all that we would miss that isn't things that we wanted to do. I could say, well, you know, I was a jerk as a young man. <laughs> Some say, yeah, you still are. But I don't want to be a jerk towards the Lord Jesus Christ and tell him, Lord, you don't understand. This is a modern age. That doesn't work anymore. I can't obey that because that's just not what, that, that just doesn't fit in with society. Listen, God never said, search the culture daily to see if those things are so. But he did say, search the word. Search the word. It's by this word Jesus told us in John 12, 48, we're going to be judged. Now, you can go to religious culture, you can go to secular culture, and learn many things, but you won't learn the truth. The word of God is absolute truth. Why not stick and do it God's will, God's way? So oh, read his word, study it. Allow the Holy Ghost to teach it to you. Get to think on it and meditate on it. We had a young man in my first church that I pastored. He was one to the Lord on door-to-door -door visitation. I'd like to say I was the one that did it, but I was not. Somebody else in the church had led him to the Lord. Uh, but he and I got together. We'd have talks and things like that. As a young man, probably about 20 years old, had a wife and baby. He had a job that he couldn't come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. His job was such that it was a lot of hours, and he just could not come. But he got into the Word, and we encouraged him, and I'd talk to him about getting in the Word, thinking on it, and so forth, and he did. And he would uh, stop by the church. Sometimes it'd be at 7 in the morning, and, and he'd stop there and knock on the door and think, who in the world is 7 in the morning? It'd be him. One day he did that, and he says, Pastor, I want to know. Uh, I know it's wrong to drink alcohol. I know it's wrong to smoke. But I tell my wife she shouldn't smoke, but she says I shouldn't chew tobacco. And he says, plus, I keep a six-pack in my refrigerator. And I haven't had a drink since I got saved, but I just want to prove that I've got victory over it. He said, but I just don't feel right about it. And he said, I don't, actually, I don't feel right about the tobacco either. And I looked at him, his name was Kyle. I said, Kyle, have you ever heard me preach on those things? Well, no, he hadn't heard me preach. It's okay. So he said, no. So I said, you haven't heard me preach on that. Did you hear somebody else preach on it? So I can't remember because, see, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. I said, you see, you're getting in the Word and you're thinking on it. 
And the very spirit of God that came to live in you is convicting you of that. And you see, that's the responsibility that we have. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Not approved unto me, not approved unto Central Baptist Church. Approved unto God. That's a much higher, much higher calling. Approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Although that book, 2 Timothy, is addressed to a pastor to begin with, it's for every saved person. Because your relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. Learn to rightly divide the word of God. Because one day we're going to be caught up. And some are going to be ashamed at his appearance. Saved so as by fire. And I don't want that for anyone. Because we love him, we don't want one who hurts the heart of God by their actions. To go on without us trying to help them. I don't want to hurt the heart of God by my actions and by my words. You know, if you stay married long enough, you learn what to say and what not to say. In general, you know, sometimes you, you forget. And when you're a jerk, you do, you know. But, uh, uh, or a preacher. Uh, but, but nonetheless... You'll get to a place where you learn not to say things. Then there are other times you learn, you know what, I need to say this now. I want to know the heart of God that well. I should know him better than I even know my, my wife of 50 years. I should know him that well. And the only way we're going to get to that point is through study and meditating in God's word. Some say, well, you know, I work a job. I don't have to. Yes, you do. Maybe maybe you can cut out some of the entertainment and some of the other things that you would do. Get to know the Word of God better than you know Facebook. (laughs) Okay. Get to know the Word of God better than you know technology. Do we love Jesus? We're living in the last days. And this book, this book, we're being warned of several things that are going to take place in the last days. And we need an intimate knowledge of God's grace and wisdom in order to stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Yes, We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Growing in grace, I realize I don't even deserve to serve the Lord. But you know what? If he would use David, if he would use Rahab the harlot to be a part of the ancestry line of Christ. If he would use Zacchaeus who had taken, he says, if I have taken from any man, I restore fourfold. He knew he was a thief. And God can use Zacchaeus. If, if, if God can use a Paul who had people put to death against Jesus Christ because they were standing for Christ. And if he can use those people 
He can use us. But mine is to study to show myself approved. Mine is to grow in his grace, knowing that by his grace I can only serve him. So I need to grow in that grace. And that's going to happen through the knowledge of God. And you're only going to get that knowledge from that book. And yet, you can't get that until first he's your Savior. Till first you know him as your Lord and Savior. So let me ask you again, do you know that if you died today that heaven's your home? See, when Jesus humbled himself so much, God, who is a spirit, became a man. He really had to stoop lower than you've ever stooped in your life. And he came to this earth, and he suffered, had the full outpouring upon his human spirit of almighty wrath, and he rose bodily from the dead. Paid our penalty. Don't reject that. Please don't reject that. If you're not sure you're saved, don't play Russian roulette with your soul, for, with your eternity. God loves you. He wants to save you, but you've got to come to him. Say, Preacher, what are some of these people going to think if I come forward? They, they may think I'm saved. Look, have you ever heard of somebody that came forward and got saved and says, I know some of you people were surprised, but I really wasn't saved. About half the people go through line and say, we weren't surprised. Well, listen, if there's anybody in this auditorium that doesn't want you to get saved, they probably need to get saved. God wants to save your soul. And your first step, the step you take out, as fearful it may be, is to come down this aisle and have someone open the Bible and show you how to be saved. As fearful as that might seem to you, do you think that equals Jesus Christ being beaten and hanging naked on a cross for you so that you could be saved, you could have this opportunity to walk and receive Christ as your Savior? No, it's not equal. So swallow the pride that will send you to hell and decide, you know what, I'm going to do what's right. I know what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stand up for Jesus, and I'm going to come to him. I'm going to receive him as my Savior. Oh, I hope that you'll do that. Let's bow our heads, please.